You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. If you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We are in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. This is the Word of the Lord. and you can, you can recite this out loud if you'd like. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. So uh, of the petitions that, that are in the Lord's Prayer, there are six of them. I mentioned this last week. There, there are six of them. Uh, the first three, beginning with, Hallowed be your name. The second one, your kingdom come. The third one, your will be done. Or Godward, they focus our attention, Godward, and uh, focus our attention on Him. The following three, the last three, are uh, about our well-being. And so today we're focusing on the first of those well-being petitions, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I mention that because I think it's easy for us to just kind of read over that and not think a whole lot about that. Uh, why? Because honestly... Most Americans in our, in our country do not, do not really worry, or not, they don't worry about where their next meal is going to come from. So it's easy for us to like read over this and like think, okay, yeah, well, this doesn't really apply to me, but, but it does, and I'll get to that in a, in a minute. There are about 500, over 500,000 Americans who suffer from homelessness, and so there are a significant amount of people who do in America wonder where their next meal is going to come from. But for, for most of us in this room, probably, probably not. Yeah, in fact, our, our, the five top things that Americans worry about, food is not one of them. It's the, the top of the, on the top of the list is financial instability or financial crisis. Secondly is political instability. Third, future pandemics. Uh, fourth, global warming. And fifth, war. Now, if you're in Wyoming, you're probably not worrying too much about global warming because considering the conservative nature of our state and our vast amount of oil and coal and so forth and so on. But that is, that, those were the statistics that I discovered, and that's pretty, pretty, pretty true across the board. And, and, and in fact, our biggest problem is not so much a lack of food, but what? Too much of it. Obesity. Uh, statistically speaking, 41.9% uh, of Americans suffer from obesity. Now, some of that can't be helped for some people. It's just it's something they struggle with all their lives. And then for others, it is something that can be helped. And I just thought, well, okay, how often do Americans, statistically speaking, eat out every week? Well, statistically speaking, Americans eat out about two times a week, at least 30% 30, 30 of Americans. And then I thought, well, what does that mean? Uh, what, you know, so what, what does that do to one's health? Well, then I, I continued to dive a little deeper, and 18% of those who eat out two times or more a week uh, have a greater chance for, to die of some kind of cardiovascular disease. And then, I mean, right before Christmas, right? I mean, just after Thanksgiving, right before Christmas. And 67% of those who eat out more than once a week have a greater risk of uh, suffering from cancer-related deaths. Like, Pastor Keith, this is December 4th. Like, we're supposed to be, like, happy and Christmassy, and why are you talking about death and food? 
I don't know. I needed a good illustration to open my sermon with, with give us our daily bread. Well, <laughs> Jesus here, the very first petition regarding our well-being is give us our daily bread. I, I think the danger for us, is, because we're Americans, I think the danger for us is just to kind of read over that and not think too much about it. Like the point of Jesus' petition here is not so much bread, but the reality that what we eat today or tomorrow or the air that we breathe today or the air that we breathe tomorrow is not guaranteed to you, nor is it guaranteed to me, right? Or I. Like I, We're not guaranteed that. We're not guaranteed our next meal in terms of our ability to eat it. We're not guaranteed the next breath that we, that we bring into our lungs, that we breathe into our lungs. Job, when he suffered much, recognized that. He said of God that he gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. The psalmist, David, said, you know, recognized how, how fragile our days are, how fragile our lives are. He said, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Like David recognizes, I, I, I'm not guaranteed anything in my bank account. I'm not guaranteed my next meal. Ultimately, my hope is in you. And that's the point in the, with this petition. The point is that we seek God. Like God is, okay, so he's Elohim. He, he, he's the one who creates out of nothing. He is Yahweh. He's faithful. He is, he is Adonai. He, he's the sovereign one. And if he's all three of those things, the, the reality is, is that the fact that you have clothes this morning to wear is, is a testament to the goodness of Elohim, Yahweh, and Adonai. The fact that you're here this morning is a testament to God's grace and his mercy that you woke up, that I woke up. Uh, there's a, I, I don't share this to sound smart because I'm really not, but there's a Greek word that, that, that's used here, that Jesus uses here in this petition for daily, and it's used only once in the entire New Testament, and it's used here. And that Greek word is, epi, ep, yeah, I'm going to try to pronounce it, apius, yeah, never mind. You, you get the point. Read the manuscript. Um, I, I, I had it down before I came up this morning. But it, the Greek scholars, are, you know, they're just, they, they've debated over how, how should this word be translated, because the only example they have of this word is where, how it's used outside of biblical literature. And, and so they recognize, in the way that it's used outside of biblical literature, it can, it can be translated daily, but it's more, most likely translated tomorrow. So think about it. So give us tomorrow's bread. And I, most of the translators who, like of your, how many of you have an English Standard Bible that you use? Like most of you, because that's what I preach from. And then some, how many of you have an, e, an NIV? Right, the the rest of you, and it's uh, and in between you have you know different versions of the Bible, but uh, the NIV doesn't have this footnote, but the ESV does have this footnote, recognizing how this word could be translated. 
You have those little numbers <laughs> in your Bible. There's a point there. There are footnotes, and the, the, they can be. They're mostly helpful in sharing with you. Hey, this word can actually be translated this way. It doesn't necessarily mean that it should be translated the way that we've translated it. And so, give us our bread for tomorrow. So, if you if you if you read this petition in that way, give us maybe you could, maybe a better translation would be. Give us our daily bread tomorrow. Then it just opens up the whole point here that I think Jesus is making, which is not necessarily about what's on your table, but the fact that God provides. He provides. He provides not just the food that we eat. He provides the job that he's provided, the job that you have, the income that you have, the bank account that's filled with the money that you have, and all of it, listen, all of it is on loan to you by Adonai. He's, it's his, right? If he's Elohim, it belongs to him. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. And in his grace and his mercy, he has given that to you. And when we pray, Jesus has modeled for us, when we pray, we ought to recognize that. You know, so I have, I have two points in the form of two questions. One, why are we alive today? <laughs> What's the point? Like, they, people have said, counselors have said, psychologists have said, that one of the more important things that people should um, have some concept of is their purpose in life. And so what are you here for? Why do you live? Why do we breathe? Why do we exist? Well, I, I think the point is clear. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for, I think, since what? April or whenever. We exist for him. We exist for Elohim, we exist for Yahweh, we exist for Adonai, we exist for Jesus Christ. We exist for him. So uh, James, in James chapter 1, verse 17, he understood this, the half-brother of Jesus, right? He was the biological son of Mary and Joseph, which is really interesting. Like, I wonder what arguments were like in Joseph and Mary's home, like when they tried to blame it on Jesus, the, old, the oldest brother. Like, no, he's perfect. Like, literally, he's perfect. But let's read this together, ready? Every good gift and the perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Like, it's from, it's from him. It's from God. And so, uh, you know, I was thinking, well, how, how, uh, how often, I mean, what's the average lifespan of, of an American in this country? It's about 78 years. So then I thought, well, how many days is that? 28,470 days. I won't have this on the screen. It's in my manuscript. And math was not my best subject either, so I'm just letting, letting you know. On average, how, how, I, on average how, often, you know, how many days out of a person's lifespan do they sleep? Well, on average, is 8,541 days are spent sleeping. Some of you are like, I need more. <laughs> Statistically speaking, people sleep away about 8,541 days of their lives. So then I thought, okay, so then what do we have left? What do we have left? Well, we have 19,929 days left. Okay, so, okay, so then what do we use that time for during our, what does the average American use their time for during the, their waking hours? And so here are some, here are some numbers just for fun. Uh, 3,750 days of your life are spent working. 
360 days of your life will be consumed by the amount of time it takes the average person to get to and from work. 1,460 days are consumed with housework. Some of you, maybe more, some of you less. For those of you who have teenagers in the room, they probably could spend a little more time uh, with house with cleaning the room. Of between, okay, so I'm going to get gender specific here. So when it comes to men and when it comes to women, men, how often, uh, who would win in terms of the amount of days spent in the bathroom? Okay, a woman, was that a woman that said a woman? Okay. It is controversial, I know. I was surprised by this. 770.8 days are spent in the bathroom by women. 856 days are spent in the bathroom by men. So, I don't know. You can, you can hypothesize and figure out why that is. 265 days will be consumed on your mobile phone. 55 days of your life will be consumed with getting dressed. 208 days of your life will be consumed with looking for lost property. <laughs> yeah. I probably spend more than that. So I've always lost something. I'm always looking for something. Roy Ma will sometimes um, sing, you know, when I'm looking for something, this is your story, this is your song. <laughs> uh, I'm like, yes, yes, I know, dear. 5,400 days of your life will be consumed by watching TV. 20, and if you play video games, how many of you play video games in this room? It's okay to acknowledge, it's all right, yeah, okay. We've got some adults and we've got some teenagers. I got fact-checked during the first service regarding this next thing. Like, how many days are consumed with the amount of time that's spent by the, Ameri the average American playing video games? And so, uh, so I said 20.5 days, which is wrong, by the way. I was fact-checked by three nerds in the congregation, who came, and they are, they self, they're self-described as nerds. They said, you can say, the nerds in the congregation came forth and were deeply troubled over your, your data about how much time was played video games. They thought it should be much higher. So in between services, I went to my office, got on my computer, and did some math, and lo and behold, they were correct. One, it, it, now, it, some of you are like asking, why are you even talking about this? I don't know, because it's fun. So, so assuming that a person begins playing video games at the age of 10, I know some kids start younger than that, and they don't quit until their 78th birthday. <laughs> Which, you never know. They will, they will have spent 1,178 days playing video games. Which is over three years of their lives playing video games. What does that leave you with? Not a whole lot of time left. So, that leaves you some, maybe just over 7,000 days of, of life. What's the point? One, I thought it would be fun to share that with you, but two, you know, teach us to number our days. Like, we, we can go through life assuming that we have 78 days, I mean, 78 years of our lives, you know, to live on planet Earth, and the reality is, is you're not even guaranteed that. That may be the average, but you're not guaranteed that. 
Over, uh, almost 700,000 people died from food-related diseases in a year, in a year. And so, so James appropriately says in James chapter 4, verse 13, let's read this together, ready? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow I will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Like we're a mist. We're here and we're gone in light of eternity. And uh, for, for, those of, uh, for our older brothers and sisters in this room, you, you, you can testify that your life has gone by really, really fast, has it not? I still, I, could st I still have vivid memories of just me reading whatever book I had to read for seminary with Nathan just sitting on, you know, just sleeping on my chest while I was trying to get seminary work done. And now he's going to be 22. Where has the time gone? You know, so when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We are petitioning to him, Lord, help us to number our days in an appropriate way where we recognize that everything that we have is a gift from you. And in recognizing that everything that we have is a gift from you, let us, let us live our lives in a way that, or that reflects that your name is to be hallowed, that your kingdom is coming, and that we desire your will to be done in our lives. You, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, were born with a purpose. We were born with a purpose. We exist for him. And he's given us air to breathe oxygen for our lungs, and he's, given, he's, he's put food on your table for his glory, for the renown of his name, for the coming of his kingdom, for the, the, for the accomplishing of his will in your life and in, in my life. Like, your purpose is rooted in him, in him. If you're a Christian, your heavenly father is Elohim, of whom the apostle Paul attributed uh, the very blueprint of your salvation. Before you were even an embryo in your mother's womb, we are told this about who we are. Ready? Let's read this together. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory of his grace, with which he favored us, or, yeah, favored us in the beloved. I like the way the NASB translates it, at least the 2020 NASB translates it, that in love he predestined us. That's where I get the whole, you know, he laid the blueprint of your salvation before you were even a thought in your parents' minds. In love he predestined us. For what? To adoption as sons and daughters, through Jesus Christ to himself. And he did this to the, for his good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory and his grace, with which he favored us in the beloved. I mean, think about that. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is written, I mean, Jesus preached it for Christians. He didn't preach this as the ideal for the world. He preached this for the ideal of the follower of Jesus. Like, this is, this is what following him looks like. Is it perfect? No, because in, uh, in just, well, next week we'll see that included in the petitions here is the petition to seek the forgiveness of God for sins that we've committed. 
It's like we're not going to get holiness down perfectly. But this is for the Christian. And if you're a Christian in this room, God laid the blueprint for your salvation and you are a son, you are a daughter of the living God. If you're a Christian, your heavenly father is Yahweh of whom Jesus promised that he will never let you go. Like Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Like that's, that's written for you. That's, that Jesus said that for you. He said that for me. That that. We have a God who is Yahweh, who is faithful to his covenant promises, and he has promised you, listen, he has promised you to never forsake you, to always keep you, to never let you go. And if you're a Christian, your heavenly father is Adonai, of whom the apostle John celebrated when he wrote his epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read this together. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Like the word is, behold. Like, look. <laughs> look at this. Look at, look at this great love that the Father has given to us. He, he's lavished this upon us. This is who you are. This is, this is who you are, and this is why Jesus told us that we can pray to Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, and address him as Father or Daddy. He is our Daddy. He is our Father. So what is his will for your life? What is the purpose of your life? Why do you exist? Why do you breathe? Christian, Paul wrote his letter in, to, to Titus, and he said this. He said, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. That's why he saved you. If you were asking, why did he lay the blueprint of my salvation? What about my neighbor? Don't worry about your neighbor. Tell them about Jesus, but don't worry about like, the whole blueprint thing. Like, the, thing, the reality is, is if you're a Christian, it is because God did a supernatural work in your life. And why did he do it? Not, any, not because of anything I've done. You know, but according to his own what? Mercy. What is Mercy. Mercy is when God refrains to give you what you deserve. His mercy resulted in him giving you what you did not deserve, and what you did not deserve was his love and kindness through Jesus Christ. What we did deserve was his wrath because of our works, which is not righteous, never has been righteous, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, that's who we are positionally before God, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What, is, what does it mean to be an heir according to the hope of eternal life? You are a son, you are a daughter of the God of all creation and all the rights and privileges that go with being a son or a daughter of the God of all creation are yours. Biblically speaking, regardless if you're a female or a male, regarding of, regardless of your, 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 you know, the, the order of your birth, if you have siblings, you, before the living God, stand before him with all the rights and privileges that would be given to a firstborn son 
in the first, in first century Palestine. All of those are yours. So when we pray that our Father in heaven provide our bread for tomorrow, for the hallowing of his name, we can be assured that all that comes tomorrow is for our good and for his glory, regardless if it is bread, a home, heat, clothing, or listen, or even death. You can know he's good. So what bread do we really need? I'd be remiss if I didn't, I think, state the obvious. Jesus said of himself that he's the bread of life. Thomas Watson is a Puritan, one of my favorite Puritans. I've read a number of things that he's written. He lived in the 1600s. Uh, but he commented on the Lord's Prayer, and he said of bread these words. The words will be on the screen. I, I won't read it super fast so you can follow along as I read it. He said, if, if all be a gift, see the odious ingratitude of men who sin against their giver. God feeds them, and they fight against him. He gives them bread, and they give him affronts. How unworthy is this? Should we not cry shame on him who had a friend always feeding him with money, yet he should betray and injure him? Thus ungratefully do sinners deal with God. They not only forget his mercies, but abuse them. Oh, how horrid is it to sin against a bountiful God, to strike the hand that relieve us. Like, think about that. And so what was God's response to that? <laughs> He's going to give the bread of life. I wish I could say I was super creative and I, could, I planned out all my, every sermon I preach in, in a, you know, to fall on a specific calendar date. I, I'm not that creative. I'm not that smart. <laughs> I just, you know, I plan out my sermon series I, I outline it, I do all, that, all, all the hard work regarding that, and I, 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 I assume that these are the, the Sundays I'm going to preach, you know, these sermons are, are, will fall on such and such Sunday, but then something happens, and then that throws the, the, you know, the order off. Sometimes, you know, I, I, my, like my brain thinks like big picture. I don't, I, I don't necessarily think about, okay, for, so we're going to go from A to B to C to D. Um, I wish I could say I was super creative and that I purposed in my planning that this sermon would fall on the first Sunday in December. It, I, I didn't plan it. But yeah, here we find ourselves in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And we read in John chapter 6 that, um, that it, just after Jesus fed 5,000 men and potentially their families, they were like blown away by that. Jesus took uh, some, some loaves of, of, of bread and two fish and multiplied it and fed thousands of people. And these people were just they were blown away by this. They were like, wow, this is crazy. This, nobody's ever done this before. So let's, let's see if he can do some more stuff. And so they followed him and, and they asked him, do some more stuff. <laughs> prove, prove that you're the Messiah. As if feeding 5,000 guys plus their families was not enough with just like five loaves of bread and two fish. Like that wasn't enough. Show us more. And, and Jesus said, you're asking for a sign because you had your bellies filled. But who's standing before you in your midst is the bread of life. What you need is not your belly to be filled. What you need 
is for your soul to be satisfied on me. That's what you need. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 32, he says, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's the meaning of Christmas, right? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not, what? Hunger, shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he, he goes on to say in John chapter 6, he said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The meaning of Christmas is that God sent true bread, satisfying bread, the bread of life in the darkness of our sin and the sin of the world. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And on that first Christmas day, in the eve of that day, a virgin gave birth to the bread of life for the satisfaction of your soul and for, your, for, for eternal life he was born. He is the bread that satisfies and gives eternal life and lights up the darkness of our sin-cursed hearts. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, by the way. I read a story uh, this week about a, a woman who was just in a... I could so relate to this. Um, like when it comes to sending out Christmas cards, and I'm going to sound like a Scrooge, I know. Like putting up the Christmas tree, sending out Christmas cards, I, I don't like doing that. <laughs> I just, I don't know why. I, I, I don't. It's, it's kind of, it feels like folding clothes to me sometimes. Like it just, I, I, maybe because I was forced to do it as a child, I, I don't know. I do it, but I just, I struggle with it. Like our Christmas tree is still not set up. And, and conveniently, well, not so conveniently, like the, earlier this week, I, I threw out my back, and so I was going to set up the Christmas tree with our youngest, because Seth loves setting up the Christmas tree, and I had the excuse, I can't because my back hurts. But I know I'm going to have to set up the Christmas tree soon, right? So I could relate, I could relate to, the, to, to the story I read of this woman who uh, just in a, just, she wanted to send out cards to you know, her family and friends, and so she bought one of those boxes of cards you know, that you can buy at like Walgreens or whatever, or like 50 cards or, you know, or 100 cards or whatever it is. And so she bought them. She, she was in a rush, so she just, she just opened each card, didn't even read it, just, just signed her name, you know, each card, put them in the envelope, addressed it, took all the, took almost 50 of those, she had a few left over, took almost 50 of those cards to the post office, dropped them off, put them in the mail, went home, and just breathed a sigh of relief, got the cards out, hopefully most people will get them by Christmas, you know, just before Christmas Day, and so uh, the next day she's just sitting there, and she just, you know, there was one of the cards, just left over one of the cards, she picked it up, and she just, she saw the picture, but she didn't read the inside. And she should have read the inside. She didn't read the inside. And so when she opened the card, she read the words to her heart. Uh, this card is just to say, a little gift is on the way. And so, <laughs> needless to say, that little gift never came to those 40-plus members of her family and friends 
who received that card. Uh, here, here's, here's the point. I'll just draw this so close. Jesus is the bread of life who will never disappoint. He will always satisfy. That's the meaning of Christmas. I was thinking of that. You know, the gift that Elohim, Yahweh, and Adonai has given is no small gift. For it is Jesus who speaks to you, dear Christian. He speaks to my own heart. These words, let's read this together. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's eternal life. That's eternal life. I was uh, reflecting on this, and I, I, I know you've heard me read this passage multiple times. I just want to close with it once again, and I want you to stand as I read this. The words will not be on the screen, I just, but I want you to stand. I want, you to, I want you to allow these words to just cover you with just God's promise to you. It's Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. This is the bread, what the bread of life provides. This is why the gift of, uh, of Jesus is no small gift. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will, we, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the bread of life that has come down, was born of a virgin, lived a life that we could never live, died a death that we deserved, and on the third day rose from the grave. And as we place our faith and trust in him, Jesus Christ, as we take him into our lives, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that not only do we have eternal life, but we will never, that we will never have to face condemnation, that you will never let us go, that you are Elohim, you are Yahweh, you are Adonai. You are our daddy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.